New York-style pizza tops best of lists across the web. A Google search turns up images of mostly big, hearty cheese slices, the kind of photos that make your mouth water. Good morning. I'm George Polarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. On this morning's show, we're digging our teeth into pizza in New York City. Pizza has a long history here. In fact, New York is home to what's said to be the first pizzeria in America, Lombardi's in Manhattan. Brooklyn resident Scott Weiner is an expert on all things pizza. He turned his love for the food into a career. Scott runs tours of significant pizzerias in the Big Apple. I recently visited with him at his apartment in Bed-Stuy, where he keeps a super large collection of pizza boxes. My name is Scott Weiner, and I'm a professional pizza enthusiast. When did you become a pizza enthusiast? I mean, we all like pizza, but an enthusiast. Well, I would say about maybe around 10 years ago, I really started directing energy toward pizza in a way of seeking out pizzerias. I would hear about a place, oh, I've heard that's a neat place that's not in my neighborhood. Let's go out and go. And maybe it would be a few miles away. Maybe it would be a day trip away. And then I found myself visiting pizzerias as an activity for fun. Let's all go out and pile in my car and visit three pizzerias in Trenton or in New Haven. And that's kind of when it turned into something as an activity for me. So you and your friends were piling in your car and going to hang out at pizza shops. When did you decide to make a business out of it to do pizza tours? It was, I remember exactly when it was. It was late November of 2007 that I decided that I was going to do it. And what happened was I was, um, in October of 2007, I decided for my 26th birthday, I was going to rent a bus with the driver and I was going to have him drive us all over New York and visit my favorite pizzerias that were interesting historically and culturally and had good food. And we would just grab the pizza, bring it onto the bus and eat it while we drove to the next place. It would just be an all day lunch. And it was so much fun. And it took a month of pestering, but finally my friends pestered me enough and convinced me to try it as a business. And I launched it as a company six months after that first birthday party, and um, I've been doing it ever since. So what's involved in your tours? Where do you take people? So the tours are, they're funny, they're all different. I do a bus tour every Sunday that goes to four pizzerias all around the boroughs, and I do a walking tour, or I do four different walking tours depending on what day of the week you sign up. In Brooklyn, the Lower East Side of Manhattan, Greenwich Village, Soho, um, you know, all over the place. And the way the format works is all the formats are pretty much the same. We walk into a pizzeria, we sit down, I give a little historical background, then I take groups into the kitchen to see the oven, explain how this oven works. Oh, this is a wood-fired brick oven. This is a coal-fired brick oven. This is a masonry-built oven. This is a manufactured oven. This is a stainless steel-coated oven. This is an internal combustion uh, gas-fueled oven. This is external, all this kind of stuff. And then, of course, we eat a slice. And after learning all about the oven, as we eat the slice, everybody closes their eyes and they think a little deeper about what it is that they're eating and what they're experiencing. And then people take notes in little pizza journals that I give out to them on the tour. And um, we get onto the bus or we walk outside afterwards and we have a, a brainstorm about what we just ate, an analysis. So we break it down. Somebody says, I didn't think that there was enough garlic in that sauce. Then somebody says, I didn't think there was any and I liked it. And somebody says, the cheese was too stringy. And somebody says, there was too much cheese. 
you know, it's a big discussion. After they tell me what they think about it, then either either I or one of my other tour guides who's leading the tour will explain, well, here's why they did what they did. Because we take people to pizzerias that kind of set up historical and cultural platforms so that we use them as examples, not just as, oh, we're taking you to Fiori's on Bleecker Street because it's the best. No, that's lame. It's We're taking you to Fiori's on Bleecker Street because we want you to understand a rotary gas-fueled oven with zero brick. We want you to understand a starter culture being used for fermentation. We want you to understand low-moisture mozzarella that is not shredded but is cubed. So it's principles that we're explaining, not just the pizza itself. It's scientific. So much science, so much history. What would you say is the most interesting piece of history when it comes to pizza in New York City? Well, I think people are always baffled by the fact that pizza was not very popular until after the Second World War. Because before that time period, pizza was only in these little Italian communities. And you ate it if you lived in those communities. And if you didn't, then you probably did not eat it. And it wasn't until after World War II that there was this real explosion of interest in pizza as a food. So uh, people are baffled by that. I think a lot of people don't, don't get it. Who can claim ownership of the first pizzeria in New York City? So Lombardi's opened in 1905 on Spring Street at 53 Spring Street, 53 and one-half Spring Street technically. And that's sort of an unchallenged claim at this point. It seems like that was the first bakery that sells pizza and only pizza, 1905, Lombardi's. How has pizza evolved in New York City over the years? Well, originally, 100 years ago, pizza was only being baked in these coal-fired ovens at bakeries that were using pizza as a way to cool off their ovens. So the original format was selling these whole pizzas, and that started to change as pizza by the slice became popular. But that only became popular as gas-fueled ovens became popular, which goes back to 1943, 1944. It's into the 50s and 60s that we start getting all these gas oven corner slice shops. And they have this unique ability that they can bake a pizza in advance, and then when you order a slice, you can put it back in the oven to reheat it. Pizza by the slice was not really popular until this time, after the Second World War, in the 50s and 60s. So pizza by the slice, which is the quintessential style of pizza in New York City, is a result of the economic shift towards inexpensive natural gas-fueled ovens. And now, today, we have sort of the re-emergence of wood-fired ovens being very popular. Neapolitan pizzerias are opening up all over the place. Pizzas are costing $24 for a little baby 12-inch pizza. And we're happy to do it because it's delicious and it's unique. And you watch them make the pizza in front of your eyes and it bakes in 120 seconds. So it's, uh, it's amazing, the evolution that we've gone through in New York. But it's really being reflected around the rest of the country and the rest of the world. What about dollar pizza? Is the quality any less when you pay a dollar for a slice? You know, the saying is true. You get what you pay for. And when you're paying for a dollar slice, what you're really doing is exchanging a very small amount of money for something that's warm and that's filling and comforting. And there's no debate about it. A dollar slice is comforting. There's also no debate about the fact that the dollar slice pizzerias are sort of more, they sort of express what pizza was 20, 30 years ago in a better way than some of the regular slice shops do. And that's because now they're, they're really gathering places. It used to be that pizza shops were these cheapest place to get food. They were a gathering place, rich and poor, shoulder to shoulder, eating the same food. And now that's happening mostly in the dollar slice pizzerias. As far as the quality of the pizza is concerned, 
clearly it's not very high. And when you're eating it, you're eating it because of the price. So I personally do not like going there at all. And I feel like they send the wrong message about pizza. They send the message that pizza doesn't deserve your money and that it, the cheaper the better. And I think that's the wrong idea. They're also putting a lot of good places out of business because they just can't compete. When you're using good quality ingredients, you can't get away with paying, with, with charging a dollar. So, you know, if you're paying only a buck for a slice, you better believe that that's a low quality cheese. So really what does separate a good slice from a poor slice? I know that you have a ratio when it comes to cheese to sauce as well. Well, I think a good slice of pizza is a one day, minimum of one day from fermentation dough opened by skilled hands and baked properly in an oven, not put on a conveyor belt, not ignored. Uh, it's it really a good pizza is something where the crust has had attention paid to it. And the rest of it is you just got to buy a good tomato and a good cheese. It's really, it's not very hard to do that stuff. You know what I mean? You can get the same cheese at almost every pizzeria in the city and the same tomato. It's all you got to do is buy the right ingredient and step away from it because you know it's good. What about that CSR, the cheese to sauce ratio? Yeah, the cheese to sauce ratio is super important. I was talking to somebody earlier today about a pizzeria that used to be on 6th Avenue and 11th Street and how they used to put a lot of cheese. And if you ordered a topping, they would add that topping and they would add more cheese on top, which then becomes too much. The CSR is too high, too high of a cheese to sauce ratio. I prefer when the cheese and sauce are at about a one to one ratio and they almost blend together and meld and become a superstructure. I love that. Now, in addition to running pizza tours, you collect pizza boxes. In fact, you have the world's largest collection of pizza boxes, right? Guinness approved. It's in the Guinness book. I have a plaque on my wall over here that says world record. Yeah, I have, at this point, I have over 850 pizza boxes in my apartment, which we are standing in right now. Over 850 pizza boxes. When did you start collecting and why? I started collecting right around when I began the pizza tour in 2008. And the reason I started collecting them was because I know what pizza boxes look like. And every listener knows what they look like. They're white or they're brown craft paper. And they've got red and or black and or green. And it just says the name of the pizzeria. You've tried the rest, now try the best, whatever. And I was on a trip in Israel in 2008, the first week of 2008, I think it was. And I saw a box that was yellow. It had blue writing, and of course it was in Hebrew, and it had an image of pizza that was just very bizarre, and I didn't expect it, and that, that intrigued me. So I took a picture, and then I started taking more pictures of pizza boxes on that trip. And when I got back home, I grabbed a box that I saw at a pizzeria that looked neat, and it was a Roma Foods, what did it say on the side of the box? Something like Tour of Italy, Volume 3. And I looked at that, and I said, wait a second, Volume 3? What happened to one and two? Are you telling me that there are pizza boxes out there that are in categories and limited? I said, I got to collect them. People must collect them. I had no idea. Nobody collects them. I started grabbing them. Then I realized I had 100, 200. I uh, started doing little pizza box art shows around town just to show people what pizza boxes look like around the world. Friends and relatives would go on a trip they go to Kazakhstan and bring me back a pizza box. They go, you know, wherever, Costa Rica, bring me a pizza box. It just, it started blowing my mind. And then I realized, you know what, maybe I have enough. Maybe I should contact Guinness Book. Because growing up, I used to read that book all the time. Every year I'd get it. And you just think, you flip through that book, and 
the people in that book are just, it's really bizarre. And I just thought, why not? Why not try for it? So they said, well, you know what? We can start that as a record, but we need to have at least 500. And then I counted and I saw I had more than that. So From how many countries do you have pizza boxes? I currently have just over 50 countries, over 850 boxes, and um, new ones coming in every other day. Do you have all of the states in the U.S. represented? I don't have every state, and I don't know offhand which ones I'm missing, but I feel like I'm missing at least one of the Dakotas, so that's a problem. I don't think I have any from Maine. That's a, No, I do. You're right. Yeah, I do have Maine. But, you know, I, I'm sure that there's some Hawaii. I have no Hawaii. But so I'll if work. anyone's listening right now, they can mail you a box? Yeah, people can mail me boxes, and I always tell people, listen, if you mail me 10 unique boxes that I don't already have, I'll send you a ticket to the pizza tour, free. Where do you keep all of these boxes in your apartment? See, I'm glad you're here because you're, people ask me this all the time. They imagine that I live in a pile of pizza boxes, and you walked into my this apartment. This is a very tidy apartment, I must say. Thank you, and i got to tell you, I did not just clean up for you, okay? I, I love to keep this place clean because, come on, let's be honest, I have a collection of garbage. People expect this to be insane. So you, you don't see any here. I keep them in this closet that I have right off my living room which it's a coat closet on the bottom, but on the very top of it, it's just absolutely packed with, I believe it's four feet high by three feet wide and three feet deep. And it's packed with pizza boxes, but that's only about a third of the collection. I have two thirds of the collection up the stairs in another closet. If you want to see it, I'll show it to you. Which is your most prized possession? My most prized pizza box? Wow. That's tough. There's a box I got in Amsterdam in 2012 that's a Simpsons trademark infringement illegal image use of the Simpsons uh, pizza box. It's about 10-inch box. It's one of the smallest boxes I have, and it's one of my absolute favorites. It's just you see Bart and Homer, but they're not really Bart and Homer. They're slightly different. Bart's got a hat and a piercing, and Homer's got long hair, and you could tell that this person wanted to you know, suggest the Simpsons without being sued but I don't know. I also noticed that none of these pizza boxes have oil stains on them, so you have new pizza boxes, not used ones? Yes, Mom, I clean them all out, or I only collect clean boxes. I don't have a lot of boxes that have cheese in them, and if I do get a box that I can't throw out because it's from you know, Korea and I'm not going to go there and get another box, I scrape out the cheese and I coat it with polyurethane to seal it in, and I do not have a problem with bugs or with mice. <laughs> Everything's okay. It's clean. Scott, thank you so much. Thanks for coming. That was Scott Wiener. He's the owner of Scott's Pizza Tours. You'll find more information at scottspizzatours.com. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Boldarki. There's no shortage of pizza joints in New York City, but to get a better sense of the tradition, I placed a call to Danino's Pizzeria and Tavern on Staten Island. Danino's has been around since 1937. I talked with Michael Burke, a co-owner of the long-standing family business. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. No problem. Thank you. So how long have you been involved with Danino's? 30 years. That's quite the long time. Are you in the family? Yes. 
my stepfather was Carlo Danilo, and uh, my mother got married about 35 years ago, and I started working when I was about 10 years old. 10 years old in the pizza shop. What was that like? Uh, it was uh, different. Cutting cheese, bussing tables, you know, small little things. You started at the bottom, and then uh, just eventually worked you all through every job. So who was the first Danino to open the shop? My grandfather would be John Danino. It started as like a confectionery soda shop, and then they put a couple of pool tables in, and then they moved next door in 37 to the, the building where we are now. And then in 51, when my stepfather took over, his father had passed away. He put the pizza in, and it became an instant hit. So, Michael, you said it was your stepdad that started the pizza side of the business. What inspired him to get involved with pizza? I don't know. He had come back from the Navy. His father had just passed away, and they were were doing small things uh, with food. And uh, he had a friend that showed him how to make pizza, and uh, it just became an instant hit. What do you attribute the longevity of Danino's to on Staten Island? I think a lot has to do with just the whole atmosphere in Staten Island. It's very, like, family-oriented. Um, they go to local places that are uh, one and family-operated most of the times. And it's just something that, you know, Staten Island is very different. It's like, you know, I, I'd say most of New York. We're not big on chain restaurants and Staten Island likes, you know, family-run or small businesses they like to patronize. So is Danino's like a local hangout for folks? Yes. You know, we have a lot of dock workers, uh, cops, firemen, you know, blue-collar. You know, we have everyone. You can be sitting next to a, a millionaire, and then you got your regular dock worker next to him. You know, it's, I guess there's no barriers there. Let's just play one little small game of word association. If I just say the word pizza, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? <laughs> uh, family. Family, huh? Long tradition. More than 70 years. Yep. Michael, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Michael Burke is a co-owner of Danino's Pizzeria and Tavern on Staten Island. There's nothing like a good slice of plain old dependable pizza. But in this next segment, pizza innovation is on the menu. Mark and Jenny Bello own Pizza a Casa, a pizza school on Manhattan's Lower East Side. In Italian, Pizza a Casa means pizza at home. But to the Bellows, it's so much more than that. It's a social happening that brings people closer together. I took a trip to Pizza a Casa to see a class in action. Every ingredient we use in class can be found in the supermarket. Okay, now we're going to use like like our fresh mozzarella comes from DePaul. How did this pizza school come to be? Ooh, you got you got get a little bit of time here. We have a little bit of time. Go ahead. All right. Uh, let's see. Long story. Try to make it short. I am from. I was born in New York City, and I grew up in Westchester and North Jersey. I love pizza, and then I found myself um, for a number of years in the Midwest studying. I was doing my graduate degree in Chicago, and if you're familiar with the sort of specific style of pizza indigenous to Chicago, it's different than what I grew up with, so I just started playing around with recipes, making pizza for fun. Um, I was out of school. I have a master's in sculpture from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and I got into the furniture business, and I was making pizzas for fun, and friends and strangers started noticing my pizzas and wanted me to cater events, teach them how to do this, 
And so I lived in Chicago for 12 years. Once I returned to the East Coast uh, in pursuit of a job in the food business, uh, I started working uh, actually as a cheesemonger because uh, I wanted to learn about cheese. And I was working at Murray's in the West Village, and Murray's has a educational program. And a fellow cheesemonger, a friend of mine, was uh, then given the position of classroom coordinator and asked me, did I want to teach a class? And I explained that I had t- taught some pizza making to friends, all that. So kind of started there. Um, and Murray's, interesting, did not have an actual kitchen classroom. It was a classroom, so we were making dough on desks and then stretching and topping and then actually walking down a flight of stairs and baking them behind the cheese counter, usually on a busy Saturday or Sunday afternoon uh, in, the, in the oven that they had there. Um, so one thing led to another, more demand, started teaching classes out of um, our apartment, which is a fifth floor walk up in Chinatown. People would find me online, like I had a little website with my ticketing on there, and I had guests coming from all over the world. And they'd find me, we'd meet in Little Italy, we'd shop, we'd walk back to Chinatown, we'd go up to the apartment. The dining room was set up with a big oval table for enough for six people to learn, And then we would make our dough, and then we'd bake it in our home oven. And, you know, the school here, if you notice in the back, that is an electric home oven. So what we're showing people how to do... How you can do it at home. How you can do it at home. So a little Italian lesson for you. Pizza a casa means pizza at home. So, and then, of course, pizza school. Self-explanatory. So, Jenny, were you eager to jump right into this pizza-making experience? Yeah, Mark and I had just started dating when he was beginning to set up the storefront, and... uh, I was transitioning, and it, um, it just looked like a lot of fun, and I, I just started helping him out while looking for other jobs, and then realized that he was going to have to hire somebody to do what I was doing, and I was doing it well, so I made myself a job, and, uh, and it was really great. So. so, Mark, why teach others how to make pizza versus opening up your own pizza shop? First of all, if you've ever worked in the restaurant business, you know it's it's crazy. I mean, it's thrilling and it's fun, but it's also, when I told friends of mine who are successful restaurateurs, hey, I'm thinking about doing something, they're like, you're crazy. Even though they're doing it, you know, even they're doing well, but so it kind of started as a way to sort of play pizzeria with an on and an off switch. And, uh, and then things got busier and busier here. And now the on and off switch is we're now up to 10 employees, so it's nice because we have Neil, who you just met, is our other instructor. And, you know, he, we, he, is, he is another absolutely capable person to teach. And we're running, you know, often two classes a day, so that's been nice. But the restaurant bug still has not left us, and that's actually a little project that um, we are working on. Uh, more details, uh, TBA. So, yeah. so what's involved with making a good pizza pie? quality ingredients yes uh the way you handle everything how much you put on your pizza a lot of simple things come together we've just continued to discover like the simpler the better in terms of pizza making and a lot of things good ingredients for sure and we're not just talking like you have to go to boutique food stores and all that good ingredients from the standpoint that choosing in your supermarket. I mean, we teach people every ingredient that we use, there is an equivalent that you can find in a grocery store. So like if you're choosing a flour, do you need to mail order away for some, you know, imported Italian pizza flour? No. But in the supermarket, we're saying use an all-purpose flour, okay? But choose an unbleached flour versus a bleached flour. I could go into explanation as to why, 
but I don't know how much time we have, plus that's part of the class. But if, you know, like look it up. It's simple things. Uh, less is more, you know. Actually, what, one of the main pizza epiphanies that people take away from our class is when they see the first pizza that we make in the demo, like we make our dough, and then while our dough is rising, I have pre-made dough that I demonstrate to the students. Here's how to stretch the pizza. And that's another thing. It's like stretching is not an act of aggression. It's actually something where you just kind of coax the dough into a bigger shape. So that's a big aha moment for people. And then when I dress the pizza, the amount of sauce, the amount of cheese is a lot less than everybody thinks that they actually need. Still, if they're skeptical, the pizza goes in the oven, and when it comes out, it's this beautifully covered pizza. And then when they taste it, that's it. Like, the proof is in the pizza. Good ingredients. Better ingredients, and use less of them. Technique and love. Don't use a rolling pin, right? That's something you strongly suggest. Correct. Yeah, rolling pins for, like, pasta, you know, fine. But for pizza, you're looking for, you know, you want your crust to be airy, light, crispy. Um, and a rolling pin is just going to basically collapse all of the rise that the yeast has created. So you're just going to have a flat, cardboardy crust. What about a little bit of a char on the crust, Jenny? Yeah, I mean, that's something we try to, try to do. And a lot of people want that. And getting that from a home oven is a good trick. So we, um, you know, we talk about baking stones and baking steels in the class and how to how to use the heat of your oven to really get that char on the bottom of your pizza if you want it without burning the top. You know, it's a whole balancing act. And so we show people how to do that. It's fun. A lot of times in a home oven, people don't think they they can actually get char. And um, so, you know, that's something that we address. And personally, I mean, char is flavor, not burn, you know. So who is coming to take your class to learn how to make pizza at home? People from all over the world. It's um, it's anybody. It, we get we get people who who just want to do something fun in New York, and the idea of making pizza seems like very like a very New York idea. But then we get you know home chefs, people who cook a lot at home and want to make pizza better at home, or people who have restaurants and they want to add pizza to their menu. We get lots of restaurateurs and people who have already been cooking for years, or even people who've been making pizzas for years, either at home or. Um, at their restaurants and they just want to learn something new and it seems like everybody who comes here says they they all say they learn something no but it's true i mean people we get people who have never touched flour in their life and people who consider themselves you know practicing pizza makers and everybody leaves saying that they had you know many pizza epiphanies you know learn, learning things and what would you say surprises people most when they start to get their hands dirty if you will how, how little they have to put on the pizza to make it good. They all, everybody thinks that they need to put on so, and just everyone says, I can't believe how little it takes to make it good. So we're always excited to tell people, hey, you can eat more pizza because <laughs> you don't have to overtop it. What are your thoughts on toppings? Is there such a thing as a topping that should never go on a pizza? Any debate like that here? There's a, there's a lot of controversy with pizza toppings and because we do get people from all over the world, everyone has a different opinion where that's concerned. And what I have come to learn and appreciate about pizza is that it is it's a totally blank canvas you can put anything on it and it's how you put it on there and what combination it can get crazy but if you do things carefully you can really touch the full spectrum of sweet to savory and everything in between first and foremost in the first pizza that we make in our class is sauce and cheese whether it's a margarita or just your classic like corner slice sauce and cheese because when you know when i visit a new pizzeria like first like jenny and i the first thing we'll order is not the truffle quail egg sunchoke special it's going to be 
essentially sauce cheese and you know if, if the sausage sounds interesting maybe throw that on as well and then once it's established then it's time to have some fun so in our classroom as well we show people the fundamentals the basics the, the best way to teach pizza is not with showing you know the spectrum of exotic ingredients but it's how to strike the balance with the classics and then and I'll show you here we break open the pantry and the pantry is full of all sorts of stuff from the expected mushrooms olives and I see chocolate and caramel on there right so then on the dessert pizza tip like there are you know the, the crust is again a blank canvas like Jenny said and you can go savory you can go savory sweet you can go sweet there are some folks that the first pizza they make is a banana Nutella. Other people that just make four margaritas in a row because that's their pizza. Mark, thanks so much. Thank you, George. Very nice to meet you. Jenny, thank you. Thanks, George. Nice to meet you. Um, once your doughs are all marked and labeled, um, we're going to collect the dough and we're going to set it in the back where it's a little warmer. And that's another thing. That if you're making dough in a cold kitchen, it's not going to rise as fast as in a warm kitchen. That was Mark and Jenny Bello from Pizza Acasa. Learn more about them at pizzaschool.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Past episodes of the show are available in our archives at wfuv.org slash cityscape. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter for show updates and New York City tidbits. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producers Taylor Nolk and Claire Drake. Have a great weekend. WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.